Hi, I'm Jackie Tantillo, and this is Should Have Listened to My Mother. After 29 years of working as a senior producer for the NBA, my guest felt it was time to put pen to paper and write about the story of his family and all his unanswered questions. You're going to miss me someday, explores the unknowns and what-ifs as to who we are and who our parents are or were. In an excerpt taken from the trailer for the book, my guest says, When we lose someone, we all wish for the same thing, more time. If only we had one more day together, we'd say all the things we never did or never could. I'd like to welcome Ken Gagney to my podcast, and he's here to discuss his new memoir called You're Gonna Miss Me Someday. Hi, Ken. How are you? Hi, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, it's a real honor to talk about my favorite subject, my mother. Mm, apropos for this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> how did you refer to your mom as you were growing up? Um, just called her mom. I guess when I was little, just called her mommy. And, um, you know, she was my favorite person in the world. So I called on her a lot for a lot of different things. And what is her given name, her first name? Her name is Cynthia Gagney. Um, all of her friends called her Cindy. My dad called her Sin. Um, you know, so Cindy was, you know, she was, she was a pretty special person to a lot of people. I assume both parents are no longer with us. Right, right. My mom died about 17 years ago. My dad right after her uh, about 18 months later. Wow. And you grew up in Massachusetts? Yeah, I grew up in uh, western Massachusetts, a small town called Chippewa, sort of right near Springfield, um, not too far away from the Berkshire Mountains. Sort of a rural place, but um, with a, a lot of immigrants, a lot of French Canadians, a lot of Polish people. Um, but a, a great place to grow up. Um, you know, everybody was, was pulling for each other, and um, and our parents were, were part of the community and part of the fabric that, that raised uh, raised all their kids as, as well as they could. And you mentioned, because Gagne is French, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, correct pronunciation is Gagne. Um, it's sort of, you know, morphed into Gagne, got Americanized. Um, my grandfather had opened a, a, a used car dealership and a service station in, uh, in Chicopee. And, you know, he was from Quebec. His parents were from Quebec, and they had migrated down. But, uh, you know, after so many years, the, the Americans in Chicopee started saying Gagne, and he wasn't going to argue with them as long as they, you know, kept showing up. Mm, I can understand. It's exhausting sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Just go with it. <laughs> okay, next. And I'll take it. As long as you keep coming here, that's wonderful. And, you, and your mom's family is from where? Yeah, my mom's family, uh, her dad uh, immigrated from Scotland, um, from the Glasgow area, uh, with his family when he was a, a young boy. Um, and they... They moved to uh, Massachusetts, and, you know, back then, you know, most of the people who moved to, to Massachusetts from other countries worked in the mills. It was a big mill town, western Massachusetts, um, a big mill area. So pretty much everybody who came worked in the mills because there were so many jobs. So my mom's family was from Scotland. My dad's from Canada. And what mills, what kind of work are we talking about? 
Um, it's mostly text. It was mostly textile mills. Um, you know, a lot of fabrics, um, a lot of um, you know wools and cloths. Um, also, a lot of paper mills. Um, in the the town next to Chicopee is Holyoke, and uh, the probably it was. I think it was called Paper City. It was it was the greatest uh, supplier of paper in the world um, back in the early 1900s. So. You know, that's what that's what everybody's job was. You know, all the immigrants trying to you know find a better life for themselves. Working hard, yeah. getting food on the table. So, did your parents meet in Chicopee? Um, yeah, my mom uh, grew up in Holyoke, and my dad grew up in Chicopee. Um, there was a it was only two miles between them. There was a bridge separating the two towns over the Connecticut River, um, and yeah, they met. Um, they were probably my dad. I think was thirty. My mom was twenty five. Yeah, there's still it's still a little foggy the stories about how they, exactly they met, but it, I think it was at an American Legion bar. Um, I'm sure, my dad had a few too many, and uh, you know <laughs> that's usually when he was at his best. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I don't know what the conversation was, but you know they ended up together, and here I am. There's another excerpt. This may be from your trailer, but I believe it's in your book as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mother and father buried the rest. Too much pain in their past, too much darkness. Something back there they couldn't talk about. Something they shut away for our own good. That pain divided my mom and dad, robbed them of the connection they once had, and left a hole in their hearts. Can you tell us how that all started taking place and the effect it had? Yes, um, that's basically the, the crux of the whole book. Um, the reason why I I am who I am, and the, and the reason why my parents were who they were, is what happened to them um, soon after they got married. Um, five years before I was born, and before my sisters were born, my parents had twin boys. They were these perfect children. Uh, my parents starting their lives together had just been married a year, and everything was great. After about a year. My mother, well, before that, because the mother always knows, she noticed that the the twins weren't developing the way the other kids were, that she knew she knew something was wrong. She just didn't know what it was. They wouldn't recognize her when she walked into a room. They couldn't sit up or roll over when they should have been. They weren't, their teeth weren't coming in. Um, a lot of different things that she noticed that she felt were wrong, even though just on the surface it seemed like they were perfect. They were diagnosed with a condition, a neurological condition, um, and it turns out uh, after a year, my parents realized that they couldn't see or hear, um, and the doctors said they would never, they wouldn't live long, first of all, they said, and, and they would never develop and, and grow into normal kids, I believe the doctors had told them, and uh, that was the pain that was in my parents' past all before me and my sisters were born. And, and growing up, we, you know, my mom never kept it a secret from us, but we had to kind of figure this out, these, these brothers that we had that my parents had to send away after 14 months, 16 months, to a, a state-run facility because they just couldn't take care of them themselves if they wanted um, more kids. Did they ever go visit, or did you ever go visit, or that it was just end of conversation? Well, I mean, this, 
it's not funny, but it's interesting how it happened. Um, my mom was very open about my brothers, Robert and David, um, living 20 miles away um, in a town called Munson um, at the state-run facility called Munson Developmental Center. Um, so growing up, she, um, she took us there. My sisters went with her a lot. Um, she talked about them. We had photo albums in the house with the, the boys when they were younger. Obviously, the first year that they spent with my parents, there were pictures of them. We knew they existed. Um, my dad, on the other hand, didn't want to talk about it. Um, so uh, he never brought it up. He never, we knew he didn't want to talk about it. And so that's kind of, we kind of had to toe the line between you know, talking about it with my mom, which we couldn't talk about with my dad, and he didn't want to talk about it with anybody. So it was hard. Uh, it was really hard. So, but I, I I ended up kind of emphasizing with both people, um, knowing that, you know, you only you can only do what you can do, what, what you're capable of doing. I'm sure my dad wanted to be a, the best dad he could with, with me and my sisters, and he couldn't do that by if he was still going to talk about Robert and David. And um, he just, I, I don't know, I, I guess he just didn't want to live in the past. He just wanted to move forward. And my mom didn't want to forget about them because they were hers. And um, and that's kind of why I wrote the book. Just after being a father myself, trying to figure out how in the world my parents um, navigated those waters of giving their kids away um, in order to have a new family and hanging on to the past and the future and, and uh, it just seemed impossible. And, and because we never talked about it too much or at all, um, I had a lot of soul searching to do um, when I was writing the book and just trying to put myself in their shoes and trying to figure out how they handled it. Oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine. I, I'm so sorry. Did you and your two sisters ever talk about it amongst yourselves when you were young, or it was understood that we talk about it with mom and definitely not your father? Yeah, um, my sisters are two and three years older than me, um, so I was the baby brother um, and the only boy after you know Robert right. and David were gone. Um, so I was kind of like the golden child, you know, it, and I feel like I was like the replacement son, you know, <laughs> that kind of took the spot of these kids that were there, and then all of a sudden they weren't. Um, my sisters and I, growing up, we, we didn't really talk about it. Um, I mean, you're a kid, and, and what is there really to say? I, I mean, we knew my father didn't want to talk about it, and because of that, my dad, my mom, didn't say too much about it. I mean, like I said, she would visit every month, um, at least every month, I think. Um, she took my sisters a lot. Um, but I only went once, and uh, and that's uh, that's still something that that, that gets me. And, and I think when I was writing the book, I um, I, I don't, I'm such a hamster. I'm just gonna like fall apart here. No. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I um I, I just feel like I let her down. Um, you know, she she my dad was so like emotionally absent. Um, he was a great father you know, to us, but, you know, didn't give her everything she needed as far as dealing with this. And and I feel like I, you know, kind of followed his lead. And, and I my mom took me there once to, to meet the boys, and um, I was five years old. Um, <laughs> I, I remember uh, 
she was so amazing that day. Um, um, I mean, I'm, I was young. I, I don't remember too much, but I do remember it was um, pretty impactful. Um, you know, going into this, this you know, sort of hospital um, with, with a lot of people there with epilepsy and, um, you know, developmental disorders like my brothers had, cerebral palsy, things like that. There are other parents couldn't take care of them and had to give them up too. Um, walking with my mom through those halls and, and going into my brother's rooms um, for the first time meeting them, um, they were, uh, I was five or six, they were 10 or 11. Um, and I just remember them, I mean, they were frail, they were, they were, you know, kind of skeletal, they, they were bony, um, but they, you know, looking at them, I, I, I recognize myself, you know, I, I say in the book, it was like a funhouse mirror image of myself. Um, it, it, it was, it was, it was amazing how she treated them just like she always treated me. I mean, she, she was calming them and singing to them and, and I was sitting in a corner, like wondering what was going on. I, I was afraid, um, but she, you know, she took me up to them. She, she let them, um, you know, um, kind of feel my face and put their fingers to my hair and um, just to get to know their brother, their brother a little bit. That touch sensation is the most magical thing, especially for someone blind and deaf, because that's how right. they communicate. The emotion and the connection is in that touch. So I was going to ask if she would hold them and pick them up or if you had ever held them. Oh, yeah. It, it was all about touch with her, especially with them, because that's all they really had. Yeah. But you were five or six years old, and it's certainly not your responsibility, Ken. You did the best that you could, and you went to see them. How long were your brothers with us? Um, so the, the doctors, I think I told my parents they weren't going to live long. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, if they lived to 10, it would probably be a miracle. I, I think they had told them. Um, but my one brother, David, died um, when he was 16. So I was in the um, sixth grade, I think. Um, and then my my other brother, Robert, he lived till he was um, in his early 40s. He, and he died a year before my mom died. Had your mom been in touch and visiting the boys all these years? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that a few years before my mom died, this one nurse at the hospital, Robert, like I said, had lived till he was 40-something, and, and this one nurse asked my mom if she could legally adopt him because she had spent so much time with him, and, and they had this connection and my mother thought of that so much because she knew this woman loved him and she loved this woman too, but she couldn't give him up again, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So she didn't do it. She didn't give him up, and he died before she did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, and I, yeah, I, still, I don't know. It was like hanging on, like just to, you know, I don't know. It, it, was, weird. it was weird how it all happened, but, yeah, he died before. Just unbelievable. You're, you're really pulling at my heartstrings here, Ken. Hopefully they're all at peace and together. But I must say, that's a lot of pressure for young kids to feel, because I, I sense this in you, that, you know, you always had to be bright and shiny and happy to help with the place where your parents were. Am I correct? Yeah. 
Yes, you're exactly correct. Um, you know, I, I, when, when I realized like what had happened, um, when I was young and I met my brothers and I, and it all started, you know, you don't really, you can't really process it when you're that little, but I think deep down, you know, that they went through a lot of pain and they were going through a lot of pain. And I just felt like it was my responsibility. I think since I was really, really young to never disappoint them, you know, I, I didn't want to be the cause of, of any more pain, you know. So I uh, I just I just grew up just trying to like do all the right things and, and you know, I it wasn't like I didn't want to make a mistake, um, because they were so forgiving, um uh that they they forgave everything, you know, as long as we tried to do the right thing, you know, we could never be wrong, you know. Especially me as the youngest boy and the baby and like I said, I was sort of like the golden child and um, you know I knew that my mom thought I was special and um I don't know if I believed her but I didn't want to do anything to prove her wrong. Um so I uh you know, I never missed a day of school. I did every homework assignment. I never skipped a class in college. I didn't drink until I was 21. I followed all the rules. I, I, I just didn't want to hurt her, you know, so I, uh, that, that's oh. kind of how. That's exhausting. That's a lot. Well, it, 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 I know, but, I mean, it's funny, Jackie. You, you, you say it's exhausting, but to me it was, it was sort of this, um, this purpose, you know, it was sort of this um, life-affirming, um, energy-producing uh, narrative that I kind of, you know, told myself, and I, I turned myself into this person that, you know, that was my thing. I was like, it wasn't exhausting. I, it was like, this is, I, I'm an original, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do everything, like, I'm going to do my best. You know, it wasn't about being perfect. Um, I'm not a perfectionist <laughs> at all. Um, I, and I think because my mom was so understanding um, about how life goes and how people can make mistakes. I mean, he stayed with my dad. He, you know, was a hard drinker. He was, like I said, emotionally absent. He, but he made a lot of mistakes, And but he was still, he did his best. And I think that's all that she ever wanted from any of her kids' work was to just do their best. And so I, I mean, you say it's a lot of pressure, but I never felt like it was. I, I felt like I was doing something good, you know, by by doing what she expected me to do. So. Well, you certainly gave back. You certainly were there for not only your mom, but I, I'm sure your dad um, recognized it in you as well. Did you ever talk about that with your mom before she passed? Did she ever say, you know, we know that you were trying super hard to, to keep us happy and do the right thing? Did you ever have that kind of conversation? No, and it's it's crazy that I think it was all unsaid and, and all understood. Um, and because we never talked about the past, um, we never sort of, I didn't hear the stories about them as kids. And, and because of Robert and David, like, we, we kind of lived in the present. Um, and not even in the future, we just kind of like lived life by the moment. And, and when she was dying, um, I mean, I had so much I wanted to say to her, but because we were just not, it, it, it's funny, we were sort of this perfect family that just never talked about anything. Um, but 
we all knew we loved each other, but we never said it. Um, and it, it's funny the way I describe, you know, I, the way I've been talking to you about my, my family, especially my mom, you'd think that, you know, we'd say we loved each other every day, like multiple times, but we were a family that never said we loved each other. I think it was a generational thing, um, but we all knew. Um, and so when she was dying, I, there was so much I wanted to say to her, so much I wanted to talk to her about about everything. And I had time, you know, she had cancer for five years. And um, I had so much time, and I just, you know, I just couldn't talk about stuff. It's hard, especially if, yeah. if you don't have someone leading you through that experience since you were a yeah. child. You know, it was a different way of communicating. What was your mom's upbringing and family life like as a child? Do you know much about her family history? Yes, and, and from writing the book, I did a lot of research. I spoke to, you know, whatever relatives were are, are still around um, to ask about, you know, what my parents were like growing up and what life was like for them and their families. And, um, you know, because, again, my, my parents didn't tell me these stories. They didn't, they didn't talk about when they were kids because I don't think they wanted to talk about anything because they think they knew, you know, once you open the door to the past, you know, they would probably have to talk about giving their children away, and that's something that probably too traumatic for them to to, to to get into. So I didn't know a lot about them growing up, but I did, you know, from the information I do have, my mom grew up in a large family, which obviously I knew. Um, she had um, eight brothers and sisters, um, a very supportive family. Mom and dad were, were around, dad worked. Uh, her, my grandmother stayed at home with all the kids. My mom was right in the middle of the nine, so helped raise half of the family. Um, and she was just, you know, it was all about family with them and all about support. And, um, you know, they're very tight-knit and close, and, and I think that's what she grew up with. So I think she grew up, um, I think she had the skills when she was became a mom and, and a wife to, to handle all this stuff, you know. You know, my dad didn't have that luxury. He he didn't have that that childhood that she had. So yeah, she, she grew up in a, a big supportive family with uh, a lot of love around. So that that helped. Was her family still nearby when you guys were growing up? Did you have your aunts and uncles over all the time, or cousins? Yeah, it, it was amazing. Um, you know, because there were nine of them, um, and they all sort of lived nearby. Um, you know, within. I'd say five, ten miles of us. Uh, I had, I think, fifty cousins. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and well, we'd have <laughs> we'd have family reunions at our house every summer. Um, you know, all my aunts and uncles. You know, my dad's side was a little more to themselves, but my mom's side was just talk about one big happy family. And, and you know, so we'd have these major family reunions in the summertime, these cookouts, and. Um, with all my cousins, and I was one of the youngest ones, so I was always, you know, taken care of and the favorite, and I have so many, like, great memories about, about those days with her family. How do your sisters feel about you releasing this memoir? Um, they, again, supportive of everything I've ever done um, and everything I'll ever do. Uh, they're my biggest fans. Um, I love them so much. We're, we're very close. Uh, they still live up in Massachusetts with their families. Um, I'm the only one who moved away. And when I told them I was writing the book, I, they understood. And, and they're like, whatever you do, it's going to be great. You know, they had total faith in me, even though I was like, listen, like, 
there might be some things that are hard to read. You know, I'm going to, you know, I might speak for you in certain places and sort of imagine what you might have been thinking and feeling. And, and they were like, go for it. Um, you know, I think when it came out, you know, my one sister, Linda, my middle sister, Linda, she's like, just like my mom, you know, she's, she's happy all the time. She's smiling all the time. Like everything's great. And so she loved it. And my older sister, Cheryl, she and I are a little more similar. She and I might be a little more like my dad. Um, and where she, I think she's probably a little more private. Um, so, I mean, she, she loves it too. And she's not, you know, she would never say anything uh, against my writing it, but, um, you know, She's not as effusive, I'd say, as Linda. Oh, <laughs> but, oh I but totally, totally understand but totally that. Supportive, but totally supportive and, okay. and, and love that I did it. Yeah, it's very cathartic. I think it's important. And sometimes people write books and they don't publish them, but just the the exercise of putting it down on paper is healing totally. enough for them, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was saying it's, it was like a six-year therapy session, you know? And, and I told my sisters, I was like, listen, these are my memories. These are this is stuff I I am thinking about and, and have gone through, and they're not, I don't want it to be. It's not your story, so don't you know? Don't think that I'm you know. This speaks for everybody because you know memories are subjective, and everybody has a different point of view on things. Especially growing up in the same family, everyone's different. Right, and especially the youngest, because I'm the youngest of seven kids, so totally oh different gosh, perspective of you know. everybody. <laughs> I had it made. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we have a lot in common. Uh, I believe you might be keeping that pen to paper in the future. You think of other ideas in the works? Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm probably 75% done with my next book. It's a, a fiction novel. It's a, it's a uh, 180 degree difference from uh, the heavy stuff I laid out in the memoir, but... Um, but it's a fun fiction novel, um, loosely based on uh, a softball team I play in on in town um, called the Eden Bulls. Um, it's like seventeen of my best friends, um, and we've been playing together for six years. And so I'm taking our team and I'm picking them up out of Maplewood and I'm putting them into a, a fictional scenario in a Las Vegas uh, senior men's softball tournament, and uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, my God. I can only imagine. Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Ken. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I thank you. Ken Gagney just released You're Gonna Miss Me Someday, a memoir. And it's a very personal and moving and touching and truth-filled story. The reason I do this podcast is to share these stories. And hopefully it can help somebody or enlighten somebody or give peace to someone. And you know what? For whatever that's worth, it helps me to do it. So I, I hope it helps at least you or one other person out there listening. <laughs> and I have a lot of great loyal listeners, and I thank them all. Well, thank you, Jackie. It's fun to talk about. It's hard to talk about, but, but I'm appreciative of the time. And, and again, the reason I wrote the book is because I know everybody has their Robert and David. You know, every family has their their secret or their thing that they're trying to get through that they've had to get through. And, and how we all handle it is, is sort of what defines us. Uh, this book wasn't just for me. It was kind of for everybody who, who's gone through anything like that. And every family's different, but every family's kind of the same. So, But thank you so much for, for the time. This, this has been great. 
Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another show. Thank you, Ken. Thank you.